0: Peace be with you. Um, when I was my when my first job, what well, was my first job out of school, of college, um, I was I worked in a um, what's called a partial hospitalization unit, Santa Aloysius Orphanage down in Bond Hill, Cincinnati. You can see it from the lateral. It's a cool looking church building, huge. I worked there. Um, it was it's a unit. It's kind of throughout Butler County and, and and Hamilton County, but at that time I worked with emotionally disturbed children. Uh, children that um, just had massive struggles in the normal school setting, needed more you know, special attention. Uh, they were kids who typically, in my experience with them, had been through just horrible circumstances. And as a result, you know, as, as some of that, they just learned to show up in the world in such a way that just, they just acted out a lot in inappropriate ways. Um, and so particularly when they would get in structured situations, like it was just so difficult for them And um, sometimes uh, it was maybe because they were feeling unsafe or insecure, but it was also just because of an unhealthy way they have learned to call out or to reach out for attention. Um, That was just what I noticed, what I'd seen, what I experienced with them. Um, They, just like any kid, whether they knew it or not, desired to be seen, um, to feel like they mattered, to feel like they had value. To feel like someone loved them and wanted them. I mean, my kids are no different. Uh, You know, they as soon as they do anything that's remotely cool to them, they they, it's like everything has to stop until I see it. You know, everything Uh, doesn't matter what I'm doing. (laughs) You know, but it's like they need uh, their mother's attention or my attention. Um, One of the uh, critical mantras that they trained us in when I worked uh, with these children in this partial hospitalization unit was catch them being good. That's what they used to tell us, catch them being good. Uh, In other words, like kind of keep your head on a swivel, be on the lookout for when they're doing things that are appropriate and take note of that and speak into that. Uh, You know, in a school-like setting, because that's kind of what they were in, they were in like therapy part of the day and then kind of like a school educational setting the other part of the rest of the day. In a school-like setting, for them, appropriate behavior wasn't the norm um, at all. There was a lot of hallway time, and there was a lot of time in which I was even running after them (laughs) um, at various places throughout the city, literally chasing them down to try to protect them. And so, um, you know, so but they did have moments of growth. They did have moments of development and maturity. And when they when that took place, uh, you know, we they wanted us to reinforce it in them, right? To draw attention to that. Uh, Because it was just easy, as you know, it just gets easy to get sucked into a mentality where you only see the bad. And so, um, you know, so the idea here was just to show them, show these children that, uh, that are experiencing, like let them feel the experience of being seen for something different, right? Let them see what it feels like. And I thought of it, to the best of my ability at the time, and even some way still looking back on that now, it's been years ago, but um, I saw that as a way of reforming and reframing their sense of identity. Like, their sense of, that's, that's who I was, but this is who I am now. Like, I, 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 I'm, I, can, I am someone, I can be someone that gets attention a different kind of way. Now, uh, that's been ages ago, right? Like, many, many minutes ago from when I did that role and I had that job. Now, as a Christian husband, a, a parent a leader. I often notice for myself, in full disclosure, like encouragement is sometimes a struggle for me. And hopefully as I say that, you're like, that is not true. He is such an encourager. Um, and if that's not how you feel, just look down, don't look at me in the eyes. Um, no, all, it, it just is. You know, uh, you know, Paul, Paul talks about how in, in, in Romans 12, he, he lists exhort, ex- exhorting people as one of the like, spiritual gifts. And so I'm always like, that's just not my spiritual gift. Exhortation is basically encouraging people. Um, but you can't, <laughs> you can't think of it that way. You know, like Hebrews 10, 24 says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but, he says, encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I mean, this isn't a list of spiritual gifts. This is for all Christians, right? So, so yes, being an encourager is biblical. You got it? There you go. Uh, but I, I wonder if this is particularly hard for us. This might kind of my hypothesis. Look around us, not necessarily in this room, but just culture, our world. I wonder sometimes if just like <laughs> to be compassionate towards us people in the, at, at this day and age, it's like maybe it's harder for us in our particular day and age in culture. You know, like because of the drift of culture, it just seems like our culture is heavily like hypercritical. You know, criticality is an all-time high. I know this as someone who speaks with a microphone and, and it gets put on the internet, you know, sometimes it's like, uh-oh. Like it's just a heavy critical society. Um, it's an untrusting society, you know, like... Trust trusted institution is at an all-time low, right? It's like pastors are just maybe a little notch above or below car salesmen. There's nothing wrong with car salesmen, by the way, if that's what you do. Um, as a matter of fact, I want to hang out with you all the time now because I know what it feels like to just immediately be untrusted. So um, <laughs> I think <laughs> there's a lot of empathy I feel for them. Um, I, I think we look around. We're so disconnected. We know. We, like We live online we know that now it's just part of what it means to live in this world and part of that and you know part of living in a tiktok and twitter world is that like we're we're we're, we're drawn towards this idea of just like everybody's kind of just these walking little narcissists and like we we tend to think that way maybe at least gen x and down you know that's how we think of it, you know, which isn't necessarily a new idea, you know. Christopher Lash was writing about this in 1979, uh, a culture of narcissism, and you can read that, but, so, but it's grown, and it's grown, and it's grown, and, so, and, and we're embedded with these ideas, um, and so, and I, I, but I read, and we just, it bugs us, right? So like, even though we feed into it, at the same time, we're like, we look around, and it's like, we just think everybody around us is narcissistic. And, and I think, my theory is, and I read this somewhere, I can't remember where, um, that we often hate in others what we know is deep in ourselves. And you know, it's kind of, that's, on one level, you know that's absolutely true, because like when you do something that like irks you about your dad or your mom, it irks you, you're like, oh, I hate it when she does that. It's like you hate it because you see it in you. You know what I mean? Or like when my child is doing something that I, like that's disruptive or inappropriate, but like I know that it's me and she got it from me, it's even worse. It's more <laughs> humiliating, right? And so I think we see and sense this in people. It bugs us and it just kind of creates this, just breeds this cynicism in us, right? It just breeds this kind of like hyperjudgmentalism, in us. A quick, unfair judgment of each other. So, but he, so here's my question, hypothesis, thought, argument, idea for the day. You ready? What if, what if this need to be seen to feel noticed, even to be recognized, is not a defect in you? I'm not saying that you don't have some narcissism. Maybe you do. But to some degree... What if it's like not that, that idea that need is actually all that flawed? What if the way it manifests itself in you is the defective part, and in me, by the way? Like the need, the desire to be noticed and seen and recognized, I mean, it's, just been, it's simply been distorted, right, in you and me. And what if God isn't trying to rid you of it? What if God is not trying to get rid of your desire and your need to be seen and recognized? What if God wants us to understand? What if it, that it's part of your, the wiring of your soul and, and, and that we need to reflect on it? Like, you need to spend time thinking about it. Like, what is it about me needing to be seen, wanting to be seen, wanting attention, wanting to, wanting to have someone take pleasure in me? to it, wanting to have someone like admire me, treasure me, what if that is something that you should be reflecting on, on a deeper level, and that it, it, it's the very driver for you towards God and t- towards deeper discipleship and following him? Maybe that's the, the very thing you need to tap into, as opposed to somehow like shoving it into the subconscious like it doesn't exist. We're just trying to like ax it out of your life. I'm not gonna care about attention anymore. Good luck with that, right? Frederick Bruner makes this argument succinctly like this, ready, human beings are made in the image of God to be noticed and to want to be noticed by God. Jesus, unlike the Buddha, does not give techniques for eliminating this passion to be noticed, he redirects it. You know, the Buddha wants you to detach yourself to these desires. Don't need so much attention. Don't need to be liked. Don't need to be wanted. Remove yourself from that. Experience peace. Jesus, on the other hand, is like, no, 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 I made you that way. Jesus is never trying to get you to be less than or more than human. Rather, embrace it in a new and better way. And so what Brunner saying here is, and what I've been trying to say here is that, that God is redirecting this desire to be noticed and to, to be recognized towards himself through who? Class? Jesus. Gosh, you're such a... We're doing an okay job here. Um, so let me show you why this is uh, not only true, I think, but why it matters so much. The two little vignettes you read, those two little stories. If you look at the second one, right, that comes after the first, that this, the widow giving her two little pennies, her two little coins. If you look at that little story in isolation, out of context, like you just rip it out, you know, take it right out of Luke. And don't read what comes before or after or anything. Out of context, it's like a little lesson on what. You know, you would, if you would have read that in isolation, you would have said, and somebody said, do a Bible lesson on this. What is it about? You likely would have, and you would have been fine for doing so. You would have been like, this is about sacrificial giving. Yeah? Um, so it would have been like this. Two things, right? Basically two things. It's, one, it's teaching us that no matter your financial situation... Everyone can and should participate in giving. You're never too poor to give. In other words, it's not like little gifts don't matter, right? They, Jesus measures money, sacrificial giving. He just measures it differently than the world does. And so everybody has a seat at the table in the realm of giving. I can still remember, even my late 20s, or sorry, not late 20s, late teens, um, starting the, the, the practice of giving and thinking <laughs> I was broke, you know? And, and, and I remember thinking, this doesn't make a world of difference. Like, you know, like struggling through that idea. I don't think anybody had ever shown me this passage. Um, two, it teaches the church, like the community as a, as a whole, that we should never disregard, degrade, demean the poor, the needy, or young people, as if somehow, because of their smallness or because of the smallness of which that which they bring is somehow less than, as if their presence or what they have to offer is somehow less than. I'll remind you of. Of James, Warning here, this, James chapter two, verse five. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? It's like, be careful. Be careful who you take notice of and who you think actually are the real influencers in the realm. So both of those little lessons, or those little truths, right, are true, you know? They would be good to take away from the little story of the widow, and they're worth remembering. But if you keep the story in context and how Luke is telling it, these two little stories are deliberately connected. They're telling us something deeper than just like a lesson on sacrificial giving, much deeper. And they speak into this human need that I've been talking about, uh, this need to, to be seen, to be heard, to be known, to be recognized, to be paid attention to, to be praised even. Because look, Jesus is doing contrasting work, isn't he? I mean, you're, you're all intelligent people, like you, you probably saw that in it. He, he's contrasting the poor widow and her gift, um, not just with the bigger, richer people's gifts, that's not the only contrasting work he does. He's also contrasting her with the scribes. And the scribes are these religious, uh, legal scholars, and they were also very rich. And I'll read it again the very, from the very beginning. And, 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 you know, like Pastor Eric said a little bit ago, but, you know, the, the tension is high. They're in, the, they're in Jerusalem. Jesus has just come off a heavy confrontation with, with these religious leaders, they've been asking him questions. They're challenging his authority. Things are at a fever pitch. You can read Matthew 23, and you will see there that whole chapter is Jesus just laying into them. Um, here's what he says. And in the hearing of the people, he said to his disciples. So he ain't trying to be like, here's my lesson, disciples. You know, he is, he is like teaching the disciples, but he, he does not mind who hears it. So in the hearing of all the people, he said to the disciples, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes. You can just insert three-piece suits if you like. And love greetings in the marketplaces, in the best seats in the synagogues, in the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They receive the greater condemnation. So the scribes were well-educated. Uh, they're educated in Bible, like Old Testament, Torah, the instruction, and law. Think of them like uh, Bible professors and attorneys. You would have to go to them to get legal documentation. You wanted a divorce, you had to have a scribe. They were the people that wrote commentaries on the Bible. So um, they were called upon regularly when people needed legal documentation interpreted or executed. So they had a lot of power a lot of influence. Therefore, they were (laughs) well-paid. They were well-accommodated. They weren't waiting in lines. They would have front row tickets to the Super Bowl, and they wouldn't be paying for them. Okay. In their context, that's who they were. But in spite of all this biblical knowledge, Jesus says they're, quote, devouring widows' houses. Now, what does that mean? We don't know. I'll tell you. I mean, there's theories. Given the fact that they were legal scholars and they executed legal documentation, they possibly were stealing the dowries of these widows, they were possibly taking their homes as pledges or loans that they knew they could not repay, overcharging for legal services, who knows, maybe all of them, probably in some way all of these. Whatever it was, it's clear in context, it was really bad very horrible, especially to Jesus. It's the widow who almost just metaphorically represents the most... She's the most vulnerable to hardship given this male-dominated society back in ancient Palestine. Without a husband, they would have desperately struggled, struggled to get by. And so they are the very people... The widow represents... Uh, literally, even just metaphorically, the very people that the religious leaders are supposed to be looking out for as opposed to fleecing or ignoring. But somehow, from Jesus' point of view, they're blind to it. Uh, Maybe even worse, maybe, they're excusing it. It's as if maybe they even know and they just don't care. They're like excusing the behavior Because why? Well, if you look at it, it's because they're so successful, um, they're so followed, they're so, quote, religious and saturated and praised by people for being so religious, knowing so much. It's as if somehow, because you can write a commentary on the Old Testament, you can get away with whatever you want. Well, things were going to be flipped upside down for them in the end, according to Jesus, so... This is how Jesus is. He just always is flipping things upside down on us. But Jesus isn't done, is he? It's not just that a war- that warning and a critique, right? It's just—it's not all he's doing in this teaching. He then begins to show them. Again, he's, remember, he's teaching the disciples. He's, not, he's saying, beware of this, right? Be aware of this. Do not be like this. But then he contrasts it and he flips it, and he says this. And it looks up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins, and he said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has, has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. And so... Jesus and his disciples are hanging out in the court of women, which is the second to the outermost kind of ring of the temple. In the court of women, there are 13 trumpet-like receptacles where people would walk up and put their money. They didn't have online giving back then, right? So you would walk up and it was very much a public thing. People saw it. They saw you give in in this court. And so they're sitting there in the the, the court of women watching. Jesus is watching these people. He's been in this heated confrontation with these scribes and these Pharisees, you know. Now he's teaching his disciples, and by way of lesson, he then just starts watching people give. So he's just brilliantly. He's just Jesus. Jesus is such a genius. He just takes the moment to teach such a profound lesson. And so there's no way for them to hide, um, you know, in terms of when they go up to put in their money, their alms for the temple, whatever it is that they're, they're 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 doling out their um, you know, money for, but uh, there's no way for people not to pay attention. Who was giving a lot and who was giving a little? It would have, you know, when the widow walks up and drops her two small copper coins in, which uh, just for context is not even a full day's wage. That's how little amount she's putting in. And um, so when she goes to puts up these two little copper coins, it would have barely tinged as it dropped into the offering box. Where, comparatively speaking, for rich people, when they walked up, maybe dropping in bags of money, it would have made quite a noise. There would have been no disguising it. Everybody would have known who had money, who didn't, who was being stingy, who didn't, whatever, you know, at least according to their eyes. So it would have been noticeably small and insignificant. But Jesus knows. What seems insignificant to everyone was an absolute ton for her. To be specific, it's all she currently had to live on. It's everything. Now, to be clear, when you think of everything I've been saying up to this point, recognize the fact this woman is not, this widow is not doing this to uh, win friends and influence people, is she? There's no way. Um, there's no way that she's doing that. She uh, is obviously, in some way, we don't know for sure, but she's, this is probably, to a certain extent, humiliating for her. So this isn't about people and what they see. She's not doing it for that. But she's, So she's not doing this for the eyes or the recognition of people. She's doing this for God's eyes. She's doing this for God's heart. She loves God. She's fully devoted all the way to the bottom right? She wouldn't be giving all she had if she wasn't. You don't, you don't behave that way. You don't give that sacrificially to something unless you're all in. unless This is the thing you're fully relying upon, like fully dependent upon. And so she's giving to the one who she knows eyes matter the most. I mean, let's face it, right? Let's be honest with each other. We do crazy Reckless even things when we're in love. All husbands in the room should be like, amen, amen, reckless. She is recklessly giving everything she has because she's like, he's all I got. He's not only the only one that's probably paying attention to me, he's the only one that actually knows my situation what I'm dealing with. He's the only one who can really see me, who can really know my heart and the situations and the things that are, I'm, I'm up against. See, true sacrifice, true generosity towards God is always an expression of relational trust like this. It expresses reliance. And although she doesn't know it at the time, the very God of the universe is a stone's throw away, watching her and writing her into the story for all of eternity. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. See, we, 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 we get this idea uh, convoluted as Christians um, because we know, we think of God, and, and we know God is holy, and we're not. Hopefully, you know that, okay? You know, we we know that, we think about that, and we know that, it, hopefully we know that even in our best efforts, you know, when we do good things, and you guys do good things, I do good things sometimes, but even we know very often, at least we should know, on a deeper level that even when we show up and give our best efforts to things, we have this shadow that chases us around. You know, it's, there's always something else there, a little bit of doubt, a little bit of insecurity, a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of selfishness, a little bit of pride. And, and we just know these things. And they get inside us and they bother us. And we hear things like if we go to church long enough, to good church, we hear things like we should love and serve God for God, not because of what God gives you. We should love and serve God because what Jesus has done for us, not because what we'll get back in return or what he might provide. And yes, that's true. Don't hear me deny those truths. I'm not, for sure. We are not good so that we might be loved. No, no. It's not the scripture, it's not the gospel. We are loved simply because God in his very nature is loving and he's merciful. He's gracious. We are saved by grace and by grace alone. And the thing is, is we were made in our mother's wombs to desire that love. Some of us are only just waking up to it. We were made in our mother's wombs to desire that love, to feel it. You were made to experience it. As Augustine said in his confessions, Thou hast made us for Thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in Thee. And the thing is, is that Jesus has come to make that experience possible. It's the very thing he wants for you, to bring us back to God so that we can know that I'm not only seen, right? I'm not only heard, I'm not only noticed by God, but this is the love my whole being has been searching for my whole life. And we just needed Jesus to unlock it, to show us, and to secure it for us. That's what we've needed. And, and, and when that gets in you, like thinking through that and, and letting it get into your heart, that, that's what I would call gospel renewal. And, and that's gospel renewal for you maybe for the first time or for the hundredth. It's embracing the fact Not shirking the fact, but embracing the fact that deep down, I want to be seen. Deep down, I want to be heard. I want to be understood. I want to be loved. I want someone who matters a heck of a lot more than me to take pleasure in me. And you're never going to give it to me. God is. That's the very thing that I want, it's the very thing I need, it's the very thing I can have in the gospel. It's what I was made for, and it's what you were made for. You are in Jesus. He moved heaven and earth and sacrificed everything so that you might experience that. But some of us, myself included, We forget, we forget this. For some of you, the penny is just starting to drop and you can feel it in your bones. You're becoming a Christian and you just don't know it yet. This need is what we're seeking in our romantic relationships, it's what we're seeking in our careers, it's what we're seeking in our money It's what we're seeking in our looks. It's what we're seeking in our families. It's what we're seeking in our social circles, our children, everything. It's what you're seeking. We know it. And if we pay attention, we also will recognize we always just have a bit of disappointment, no matter how far along we get. Or, or, you're just starting to recognize, man, why am I always so worn out? Why am I always so dog-tired? Because it's a lot of work to keep up the pretenses. It's a lot of work to keep chasing this stuff. It's a lot of work to keep after the worldly ambitions. So here's how, how can we get this to, like, live out inside of us, right? Inside out. Like, how can we get this kind of wholehearted devotion to God where we recognize, yes, this is what I want. I don't need to get rid of it. And I have it in Jesus, and I want to stay there, and I want it to change me and transform me today and going forward. Or, like, what, what, what can we do to just hold on to this truth? If you're like, yes, if you're just sitting here this morning, you're saying, amen, I'm glad he's telling the truth. I've been saying this forever, you know, nobody else has. How can we then just hold on to it and keep it, like, vibrant in us? Well, here's one of the clearest teachings uh, I think we have from Jesus on this. I think it's on this very thing. And here's what I think Jesus is basically saying. To so summarize it, and then I'm going to just unpack it a little bit for us. I think Jesus is saying, well, just, don't just focus on your public lives, Focus on your private one. I think that's how you actually hang on to this truth and live this truth out. As many of you might know or you're maybe familiar with Sermon on the Mount, famous sermon of Jesus that he gives, and he's walking us through like how to understand this righteousness that exceeds the the scribes and the Pharisees, right? Like what it means to enter into the kingdom and live for it. And it's there, you're probably familiar with, He's this really famous line. It's in Matthew 5, verse 6, or sorry, verse uh, 16, and he says, let your light shine before others. It's like what we teach kids in Sunday school, right? Let your light shine before others so that they might see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven, right? This idea of let your, like, public works, good works, let them be known. Post it, baby. Put it on there, you know? But here's what's interesting, and I don't know if you always catch this. He, Jesus, he does this Jesus juke, because that's what he does all the time, if you track with him. So he's saying this, like, let your works be known publicly. Amen, amen. He, eight paragraphs later, he switches it up on you. He twists it around, and he almost seems to contradict himself. Do you know that? Have you ever caught it? It's really, I'll read it to you. He does it through Three examples. Starting in chapter six, verse one, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by him. Now, if you're like really slow reading, you're like, Jesus, just last chapter, you said, I'm salt and light. (laughs) For then you will have no reward from your father who's in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Okay, so Jesus, you're against praise? Wait, wait for it. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. What's their reward? The praise of people. That's it. That's all they're getting, Jesus says. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now I want you to count the word secrets. You ready? Verse five, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. They've already got it. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. He's not done. He does the Lord's Prayer, right? Here's how you pray. And then verse 16 keeps going with it. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. Oh, I'm so hungry just so devoted to God, (laughs) haven't eaten today, right? They disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, yet your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret." And your father who sees in secret will reward you. You're like, I've never even, I know, I know. Three times, it's like, how many times does he need to say it? It's like, do you notice the repetition? Now, I don't think Jesus is giving an exhaustive list there, right? Like, these are the only three things I do in secret. Like, no, I think there's lots, to be clear, They're just, these are, I think, critical examples to drive home a major point. I mean, I think in many ways, like after the salt and light comment, he goes into these lists of things that I think are perfectly natural and acceptable for you to do publicly, like dealing with your anger, oaths, the way you handle your marriage. Like you can look at the list he gives after the, you know, let your public works be seen. And there are a list that it's like, yeah, you probably should do that publicly, not yell at people. But then all of a sudden he gets into this other realm and he's like, ah, but there's other stuff that I want you to do and I want you to do it in secret because it says something different about you. So what's the point here? Well, in part one, I would say this, in part, it's that our secret lives matter. Your secret life matters immensely, lots more than you think it does. Your secret life reveals your motivations, They're just it's telling your story. Like you're telling your story publicly, and maybe some people are buying it. But the thing is, is your private life is your actual story. That's who you are. That's who I am. What we're doing when no one is looking and we can't get ahead with the world's ways says everything about us. That's the thing that's writing your life. God sees us to the bottom, straight through us. He knows where we're holding back. He knows the thing we're like resistant with. Beyond even our subconscious, like, I mean, he knows the stuff that's buried that we don't want to bring out. He knows it all. He knows how our public life doesn't match our private inner life, right? And that's unsettling. <laughs> I fully admit, like, I know that that is immediately like, oh, goodness gracious, like, am I congruent? I know it's unsettling, as it should be. Let that be unsettling to you. It's okay. But that's not all. It is. It's also comforting and really inspiring. Because the thing that this is telling you is that God takes pleasure when you serve Simply because you've been served by God. And no one sees it. Like he takes pleasure in it. He that like God takes pleasure when you pray. And no one sees it. When you waste that kind of time. As opposed to reaching for another strategy. You just get on your knees and I, I got nothing left. It's just you. I need to talk to you about it when you're overwhelmed, when you're overjoyed, when you're confused, when you're lost, and you know nobody's got the answers. There's not another book you can read. And you just pray. He sees it, and he's pleased. God takes pleasure when you sacrifice and deny yourself, not to impress people, but simply to draw your attention to him. He sees that. And he takes pleasure in it. Um, Henry Nowen makes this wonderful connection. He says this, we we like to make a distinction between our private and public lives and say, whatever I do in my private life is nobody else's business. Uh, But anyone trying to live a spiritual life will soon discover that the most personal is the most universal, the most hidden is the most public, and the most solitary is the most communal. What we live in the most intimate places of our beings is not just for us, but for all people. This is why our inner lives are lives for others. That is why our solitude is a gift to our community. and, And that is why our most secret thoughts affect our common life. You think your private life isn't bleeding out because it's not on the internet yet. You're wrong. People just haven't connected the dots yet. What you're doing in your private life is just being displayed, not only in your relationship with God, but your relationship with everyone. Because it's forming you as a person. You are what you do in those places. Whether we deny it or not, who we are in private, what we pursue, what we actually give ourselves to, and the sacrifices that we make will not only play out in our discipleship to Jesus, but also in the way we try to love our neighbors. We can't disconnect or even diminish the role our private devotions have on our life of transformation. If transformation is actually what you want, like if that's what you actually seek, you must begin to look there as well. And so if this teaching, what I'm saying, at least the way I'm doing the best job that I can to interpret it, this teaching of Jesus is settling in you, I I hope you'll see the importance of bringing an equal amount of energy to the private devotions of your life as you do your public life. You know, the areas that it's just easier for you to put a filter on. Areas like praying, like giving, fasting, reading the scripture, uh, making time for confessions to God in private. These things, like giving real energy to that sort of stuff. And listen, I'm not um, up here to just talk and talk and talk about these things and just pretend like everybody gets them. Like, if you struggle in those or those are new to you, let me, like, please. Nothing thrills me more, or the other pastors for that matter, than, to, than when people are humble enough to be like, I, have, I don't actually know anything about fasting. Yeah, so does like the vast majority of the church. They just pretend like they do. No, I'm serious. I'm not mocking you. I'm saying, like, if you, if you struggle in the disciplines, like the private spiritual disciplines, come to us. I'll, I'll give you what I've got, or, you know, I'll give you books. Like, I'll walk with, like, we can help you. Just ask. Because these are the things that really matter in terms of shaping and transforming you. And so as we come to the Lord's table, Lord's Supper this morning, let us remember what we're doing, right, when we come. When we come to these, these, these stations up here, we're, we're taking down bread that represents Jesus's body, right? Represents Jesus's body broken on the cross, and we're taking down the wine that represents Jesus's blood so that we can remember that God has seen us, like he's seen us all the way through. He has sacrificed for us, and he has loved us like nobody else has loved us. Jesus has loved you like no one has ever or is going to ever love you. And you may notice when uh, we do, when we present communion, you may notice that I often fence the table. And what that means is that, you know, I'll say something like, hey, before you come forward and take a piece of the bread and dip it in the wine or the juice, don't take that in an unworthy manner. Those are Paul's words, not mine. I'm comfortable with them. But what, I'm, what am I saying? What am I doing there when I say that? It's just a way of saying, don't take part in communion simply to fit in. Don't do that. Like, it's okay to to hold back because you're still sorting things out. Don't take part in communion. Just put up a show. We all do better when people are honest about where they're at. It frees me to be more honest, for goodness sakes, right? Right? The more the pretenses come down, the better we all become. But let me let me just say this last thing. Let it be known by us all that the Bible says this, because I don't want you to be like, well, I did sin this week. Listen. The Bible says that a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. That's Psalm 51. And so for you, it's like it's not, it's not unworthy for you. To be like, I want Jesus, I love Jesus, but man, I'm a mess. Yeah, 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 me too, me too, me too. And so if that's where you're at, you're invited to come forward to one of these stations in a minute and take part. We're just glad you're here. If you have questions after the service, feel free to ask, or if you need prayer, come ask. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks this morning as we come to the tables this morning to, to uh Take part in this ritual that you gave us, this practice you gave us, this sacred practice that you've given us to remember and to proclaim your son's death until he returns. God, may it, may it nourish us in a profound and spiritual way, and may it open our eyes, open our hearts to the ways that we are seen by you all the way to the bottom, and that you loved us. you've always loved us and knowing and experiencing that love will cause us to actually become good that's the way it works in the universe that you've designed and we give thanks for that this morning may we all leave in peace may we sing out in praise to you it's in jesus name amen